0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Alt Music Podcast. I'm your host Rogan Josh, and with me today, Luke Carlino of We Move Like Giants.
1: Luke, how you doing? Good, my man. Good to see you. It's so good to see you. It's been a while. It's been a, it's been a little while. We've chat we chat a bit over the over the text, but you know, seeing each other face to face. Yeah. Well, this counts as face to face. It right? does. It does nowadays. Yeah. This is the this is the, the new age face to face. So it's nice to see you like this. Definitely. When so you're you're in Melbourne now. I'm in Melbourne as we speak. Yes, when did this is you, where I live. Yeah, when did you move to Melbourne? I moved here. I think it's. I think it's like just over three years ago now. It's been quick. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But um, yeah, I think it's been just just about three and a half years, which Very is nice. pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love it. It's a great spot. A great place to be when when there isn't a virus running rampant.
0: Yeah, through like the state. <laughs> sans pandemic. It's it's yes. the best. Sans Demic, yes. it's the best.
1: Correct, very true.
0: I think I'm yes. the first person to say Sans Demic, so if that catches on, that's if
1: that's a... not a metal band name,
0: yeah. <laughs> you
1: know what else is? You know what I mean? In that in that weird writing that you can never tell what the name is.
0: You know what? I rewatched my reaction uh, to We Move Like Giants earlier today, and I was wearing a mock metal T-shirt from Hidden Visions Clothing, where it's like they made it as unreadable as possible, but it looks like ah, I'm nice. wearing a metal shirt.
1: We actually have um, a version of the We Move Like Giants logo written in a metal thing because I really wanted to do like these metal shirts. And I'm not saying like one day we might because yeah, yeah. I just love I love that whole like you can't read it. Yeah. It's perfect. You can be whatever you want. You can yeah. say whatever you want.
0: It's the best. And that's probably, the, the
1: I think now I think
0: about it, that's probably because metal bands always have the most awful names. So, it's probably the only way they can put it on a t-shirt right? is to make it so people don't know what horrible thing
1: it's saying. That's right. So, that the kids can still wear the merch without the parents yes. you know, banning it. Absolutely.
0: 100%. All right. So, <laughs> I'm going to go all the way back to cool. my first introduction to you was Fowler's Live walking in, day on fire, were already on stage. I don't remember who I was even there to see that night. But walking in and just being like, this is too good to be a local band. I was very, very new to the local scene. And mm. up until that point, I'd heard like the the earliest stages of bands with the, you know, the, the right. cheapest possible equipment and mm. reporting, like recording through a speaker on their parents' laptop, you sure. know. And coming in and, like, seeing this band is being like, how is this an Adelaide band? Like, you guys seem to be in the early stages of the kind of, like, the scene and this, like, kind of emerging rock
1: scene ahead of the game from my perspective, (laughs) especially... You're just too nice, Josh. Do you understand the awkward position that you put the people in? When All right, well, you, it was be so nice. It was a ve- nice, it great. was a
0: very important moment uh, to me. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's so amazing to hear that. It was very, and the songs were just so solid. And there's something about a singer guitarist that I just appreciate so much. I feel like when you've got a, a singer guitarist that writes the songs, the song and the vocals mesh in a way that feels a little more complete. And I think that just all of that at once, like the presentation, uh, I think it was my first time at Fowler's as well, possibly, because it was just- Oh, wow. Really? I walked in and I could not believe that you guys were from Adelaide. I remember just being absolutely blown away. So, that's when I first met you. Now- to, so that you can you know ease up from all the all the compliments
1: let's go all the way back oh, How- hey, let's not let's oh. not make the mistake of me wanting you to ease up on my compliments <laughs> but, I mean, very good wait, I'm, I'm more than happy yeah yeah, yeah. Right. but before you say the next yep, thing yep. you're about to say let me let me do this i actually today also did a little preparation and i looked oh. up the first time that we played with capulet yes now, now do you do you know what it is i don't excellent i was hoping you wouldn't so <laughs> I actually have all of the day on fire shows that we ever played written down. Who we played with, where we played, everything. Right. So I can say with complete certainty, certainty that the first time that we played with Capulet was May ninth, two
0: thousand and eight.
1: Two thousand eight. Enigma. May ninth at Enigma Bar. That was the first time that we played a show with Capulet. But weren't you in a band before that?
0: So Capulet was always. It's always the same band, but we went through different names. It was
1: called. Was it called Against the Overdose? Against
0: the Overdose. We had a history of having the worst band names of all time. The first band name we had was when the word emo was brand new and we thought we were so cool. And firstly, we're idiots. So we were like, oh, we want to have a made up name like Incubus. Later finding out that Incubus is a word. Definitely a word. The male version of Succubus. Uh, Very, very suiting to them with their seductive crap. Um, <laughs> right. But we wanted a made-up word. So, we became Natimo N-T-E-M-O, which was not emo, but we didn't think anyone would ever be <laughs> smart enough to figure that out. And the first thing yeah. we did was become very emo. Um, yeah. So it's it, so Im- meta. Yeah. Well, it immediately became a horrible idea. So, we then right. wanted to change the band name. Uh, We were going between a castle for Cadence, which was my favorite name. I wanted it so bad. And I'd already done a design for it. We were almost like locked onto it. And our singer, Tom Vasick, one of his friends uh, had a horrible experience, like almost dying from an overdose. And he was like a changed man. And he said, it has to be against the overdose. And he gave us this incredible story. And we were like, yes, 100% we're in. And that's also yeah, awesome. you can't
1: fight that but sure. it's
0: a terrible name like we had nothing to do with yeah. drugs
1: <laughs> it's 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 not a terrible name if you know that that story but um, I swore that we actually played with you guys when you were called that but then when I looked over my very exact records, apparently not so maybe I was just at a show where you played or something but maybe. if not does that mean is that mean that the first time that we met was this May 9th Enigma Bar show or or have you got something? In the bank that I don't remember, which
0: it, is probably... It's it's popular. something... Yeah, no, this was um, this was a show that I wasn't playing. I was okay. there. Um, the band would have been, yeah, in its absolute infancy. I, I can't even imagine us having played shows yet, really. I think okay. it was, uh, like, very, very early on that I came in and yeah. saw you guys. So, and I guess to put the picture together, now we'll go back,
1: right back, sure.
0: and let's work wow. our way through. How did you get into to music
1: that is that is that is very back i think um weirdly enough no one no one in my my family is really uh very musical the the only person that was musical was my uncle he's not with us anymore but he was a drummer and he was from what i could like one of the best drummers that i've ever seen in my life so as a kid i used to watch him drum and it was just blown away because i knew nothing about music i didn't play any instruments i just would watch my uncle drum right in front of me and he was the best drummer in the world to me, yep. because you know. So that yeah. that's really the only like deep family connection that I that I ever had to music. But you know, I remember listening to music um, when I was a kid, you know, tapes and and whatever, and just always loving music, you know. Um, so I think it was always there, but it wasn't until um, you know. Well, I mean, so, you know, I was young. I listened to, you know, when you're young, you listen to like pop music and yep. stuff. I was to, like Michael Jackson and Prince and all that sort of stuff, right? Yep. Um, but then I got to school. I got to junior school and um, I had this friend named Ricky and he was an amazing visual artist. He could draw really well. Yeah. Um, and I think he was uh, from New Zealand. He was Maori. All right. And he could draw amazingly well and he loved hip hop music. And he used to give me tapes with like Wu-Tang Clan 2 Park, yeah. like all of this stuff on it. And I'm like this white kid from Northern Adelaide who's, you know, just I was a nerd, I guess. I was, yeah. I was just this little nerd rolling around listening to like <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. And um, that really drilled, drilled a love of hip-hop into me really, really early. But what happened there is that as we grew up and we got to high school, and we started to get interested in instruments, you know, um, it was around the time of bands like Nirvana and Metallica and stuff like that. So you sort of get pushed that way if you want to pick up, say, a guitar. Yeah. Because I was learning piano. I learned piano when I was younger, but I hated it. I was forced into learning piano. Then I wanted to pick up the guitar because I wanted to play Nirvana songs. Yeah, dude. And and you're just like impressionable at that age, and you just want to do all of these things and be all these things. So it wasn't until I was about 15 – I reckon I went to my first local show and it was funny. I was actually talking to some friends about this the other day. Yeah. The show was at St. Paul's and it was, um, unwritten Law, body jar. What? Yeah. yeah. Un- unwritten Law, body jar and think tank. Right. Wow. And it was the first like local concert. It might've even been the first like concert that I've ever been to as yeah. a, as someone sort of that would remember it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being in the mosh pit, just blown away by this night. It was packed. People were going off. The bands were insane. And that night in that mosh pit, I said, I'm going to start a band. And I started a band the next day at school. Nice. Terrible band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and I never, ever stopped working on music from that point onwards, which is pretty crazy.
0: Were you already at this point singing? or is-
1: No, 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 no. Oh. This was like I was playing guitar. That was it. And um, singing wasn't even in the the realm of possibility for me. I wasn't even considering it. The only reason that I started singing in, in one of the iterations of this band was purely because no one else would. Like yeah. singing wasn't cool when I was a kid. You know what I mean? When you're yeah. a kid at school and you're starting your school band, no one wants to be the singer. Like that's terrifying. That's you know? true, yeah. So, I was going to yeah, say so every, everyone wants to
0: be the singer, but they just want to magically be able to sing.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think now it's definitely... As we got older, it was definitely popular to be the singer because, you know, maybe you got the girls or yeah, something yeah, yeah. You know, because you're at the front of the stage. But um, yeah, the idea, the idea of it was terrifying. Um, and I, wasn't, I, I never really thought of myself as a very good singer. You know, I, went, I did singing lessons and I, I couldn't understand them. Like, even though I was in a singing lesson, mm. I couldn't understand the concept of teaching someone to sing. And I still kind of don't. Like, I think you can either sing or you, you can't sing to a degree. Yeah. But you can definitely get better at singing. But the concept of teaching someone that is, I, I don't, I think you really need to find that yourself. You know, I can, I can almost pinpoint the time where I think I became a better singer and it had nothing to do with like singing lessons or anything like what that. What is that? So, what is that point? Um, uh, there's probably a really like scientific reason behind this, but yeah. It was around the time where I, uh, started doing solo stuff. So Downfire was kind of winding up yeah. and, um, I was going through like this really bad relationship breakup and my way of, uh, dealing with it every night was just, um, going into a room with, with headphones and like practicing with a loop pedal through, uh, the computer. So I could hear everything cause I was at home, right? I wasn't yeah. in a rehearsal room. So I practiced, uh, you know, in headphones where I could really hear my voice while I was singing. And I swear that made me an infinitely better singer than I had ever been. Um, and then maybe that that might be a thing. That might be a scientific thing behind that. But mm. that really helped me. And when you think about it, like when you're in a younger band and you're coming up and you're like learning, you're, you're honing your craft. Yeah. You're always in like practice rooms, right? Where yeah. The vocals. A are, terrible PA. Be heard. Yeah. Oh, right. So it's very hard for singers when they're sort of coming up to uh, practice properly yeah. and learn the craft properly. You know, it's not the same being at home and like singing in the shower or singing mm. in your bedroom as it is singing on a stage through an amplified PA and really or recording your voice and really hearing the intricacies of what your voice is doing. So yeah. I think by being just night after night in those headphones, I I could hear that and I learnt that. And it definitely improved um, improved my singing like massively. So yeah, yeah.
0: I was thinking just as you said that like that would be the way to get to get better. But interestingly enough, having a terrible PA in a, PA in a practice room is probably a way to build confidence because hugely. you can you can sing your heart out Absolutely. and no, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, the guys can barely hear it. Because I, I think that there was a few practices Absolutely. where I even tried it out. You know, like the other guys weren't there, so we just played a song, and I just went for it for fun kind of thing. But if you put me on stage or in a recording studio, there's no chance. You know, but Conf-
1: yeah, I am purely talking about uh, bettering your tone. The yeah. confidence beast of singing is just like a whole other book, isn't it? Like, yeah. there's um, you know, you you really need. I like in my life, I've been told that I have an ego, which <laughs> I probably do.
0: We all have, but an I ego.
1: also we all have an ego. Mine sometimes is a little bit worse than others, but you know, I've been, um, standing on stages, singing songs that I've written to crowds, you know, for a long time. And I learned quickly that you need to have that, a level of that ego to, to be able to do that. You know, you don't have to be an asshole, you yeah, know, yeah. about it. Um, but I think the, the thin line between ego and confidence, if you're going to be an artist who, uh, really expresses things that are, are personal to you and, and very hard on your sleeve. And you're going to do that in public to strangers on a stage of all things amplified. You're really going to need some, some hefty ego in you to be able to do it. Do yeah. it well, you know?
0: I, I've always kind of thought that with your vocals, the secret source to it is the whole presentation. Cause there's, like you said, there's an, there's an ego which gives you the confidence, but it also mm. gives you the ability to tell a story. So it's songs that you've written there's a lot of soul to it. there always seems to be it's a whole package um where you can really tell that you own like you own the stage you own the vocal line because it's a song that you're singing from the heart that you've written in it you know in the music and you I think that you would probably usually as a guitarist and a songwriter be part of the song itself writing so the vocals always fit so well. Do you feel that? Because you're a songwriter, that gives you an advantage in that way to have the connection? Um
1: first of all, thank you for saying all of that stuff. That's lovely to hear. But um, yeah, I think that it definitely does I don't really have anything to uh base it against, because I've always done it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I always I I'll listen to like other artists talk about uh let's take, for example, a band. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here but let's just say the situation where there's a band where the the vocalist doesn't write the lyrics right yeah. which is very common that yeah. happens all of the time yeah i i've never really understood i don't think i'd be able to do that and and i say that as a credit to them because you know i know a lot of vocalists who don't write their vocals but still deliver beautifully you know yeah but I don't think I have the capacity to do that because i I need to really um be connected to to what I'm singing and and you know have a have an emotional connection to those lyrics. That's just kind of the way that i've I learned how to do it, so I think that's the way I've done it yeah does that uh, ever cause issues
0: point... within bands
1: uh, within bands oh um not in my experience I've never been in a band where it's been an issue because. Uh I mean I hadn't even really been in that many bands like you know so mm. we had day on fire I went solo now we've got giants so I've I've there was definitely no arguments in the solo stuff yep. because <laughs> yeah because it was all me um only inner turmoil inner there was plenty of <laughs> inner arguments absolutely yeah uh and on in day on fire I was pretty well left alone on the lyric side of things the guys yep. were happy to, for me to do whatever I wanted there what about and the songwriting um, the songwriting in Downfire Fire was always very collaborative, 100%. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a four-way split on, yeah. on the songs. So, um, I guess I've been lucky to always work with really good people. You know, mm. um, I wouldn't be in a band with them if, if they weren't. Yeah. So I've never really run into very many issues with say creative issues and all that sort of thing. Certainly not now with, with giants. It's, um it's like the opposite of that, you know, we've never had an argument and I can't see how we would. It's such a, um, it, it, that's a bit of a different beast though, because I'm in a band with three dudes who I'm a genuine fan of. Yep. So when you're a fan of the people in your band, there's a level of respect there where you kind of just get out of their way. And um, if they happen to also be good people, which I'm lucky enough that they are yep. they're all ideas are on the table. You know, and all bands should be like that. I know a lot of bands struggle with that sort of thing, where you know, creative differences can uh, be their demise ultimately. Mm. But I, I think that you know, if you're going to be in a band with some people, the the last thing that you want to be, uh, you know, beefing about is is anything creative. Like, why would you, it's you don't ever stifle someone's creativity, right? Mm. Especially not the people that you're in a band with. Yeah, definitely. You could miss out on some some gold. And you've got a so,
0: unique situation in the way that you have three vocalists or two is it two or three vocalists in, in Giants
1: In Giants two two vocalists. Well two two in a bit. Johnny can do some vocals as well if we really push him to. but um, yeah, that's interesting as well having two vocalists. Um, yeah. It's not a situation I've been in before. so it was a real learning curve for me. but honestly, I, I love it. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, to that it goes back to what you're saying before about like the passionate level of writing that you're writing like mm. that can be very personal but bringing someone else into that seems kind of daunting but if you trust that person which I do with Coulter yeah. then it can be a really exciting experience because you've got these all these new areas to explore you know we'll freak each other out by writing um, we've got a song on the new record where we uh, wrote the the verses our verses individually and we wrote we wrote about the same thing which is kind of weird do you know what i mean like so i think that um as long as it's a good you've got a good relationship and a genuine friendship with that with that person and there's a trust there Mm. it's definitely more of a positive thing than a a negative thing it should never be a hindrance to your creativity
0: yeah would you ever say that the songs are this is a Luke song, this is a Coulter song. Or are they always like a 50 50 collaboration?
1: I was in uh, writing Vo- them? Yeah, and vocally. Um, I would certainly never say that. I mean, you could, you could probably just listen to them and, and go, well, you know. So, an example is we released a song not too long ago called You and Me Against the World, well, which I wrote for my sister. Yeah. And Coulter's got like a small bit at the end of that song. But it's still I wouldn't call that a Luke song, yeah you know like it, it's still the the kind of rule that we approach things with is with giants is um what serves the song the best, even on the new record we we just finished recording the new record and we we're in the studio, and the opening track I was like so stuck on it for what to do because cool to head just like destroyed it in in the best way like he yeah yeah just yeah. It. yeah and um and part of me was sitting there going, I don't think I need to be in this song. And I actually had a discussion with Paul, the, the drummer, about it. And I said, you know, is it weird if I'm not in a giant song? Because I don't know how I'm going to serve this, this song, you know. And, and, I, and I ended up doing something in the song. But before we got to that step, he said, well, it's not weird. Because the goal for all four of us is how do we make the best song? Yeah. And if the best song means I stand in the back and yeah, yeah. knock a triangle, then great. You know, we will still win. So the last thing I would ever do is break up a, a song as a Luke song or a Kulita song or a Paul song or whatever. Like I think that um, it's such a collaborative uh, working relationship that we have. They're just giant songs mm. and, and it's irrelevant who writes what from there, you know, like it's just the final thing is just all of us, which yeah. is great.
0: And I guess a, a, an advantage in that way is that you both have such different uh, vocal ability or not ability, it's just very different vocals. Definitely. So, 100%.
1: Oh, we come from different worlds, man. Like yeah. kool is a, a rapper through and through. Yep. He's, that's how he started. And he's, in my opinion, one of the best that we have uh, in Australia when it comes to rappers. I know I'm biased, but I truly do believe that. Is it and, the song... Uh,
0: was he in uh, one of your songs? Was it Minute? He was in Minute, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's
1: how we uh, That's how we all, that was the start of We Move Like Giants, essentially, because um, I know I'm darting around on your timelines here like crazy. Sorry, oh, it's all, all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, we. I was uh, doing my second solo EP and John and Paul were producing it. And, um, you know, I love hip hop. I can't rap. So I get rappers on all my songs. I did yeah. it on my first EP and I was doing it on my second one. So we needed a rapper in minute. And uh, at the time, Coulter was transitioning from being the rapper Coulter into the artist Daydream Fever, which was yeah. a little bit more of an alternative vibe on what he was doing. Yeah. And uh, he just so happened to be playing his first ever Daydream Fever show right in the middle of us recording my EP. And Paul already was friends with him and said, look, I've got this guy in mind for the for the verse that you want. He's doing a debut show. Let's go and check it out. Yeah, so we went down, we watched the show, and I was just a blown away by Coulter, who was on stage doing uh, a solo thing similar to what I was doing, dancing around all of these genres in the way that I love doing and and could rap. Yeah, so he ticked every single box for me. We asked him to do his verse on, on minute and he, um, crushed it straight uh, away. I don't think we even changed a single thing about the very first thing that he sent in, you know, which is pretty yeah. like rare. Yeah. Um, so we did minute and I'm really proud of that song and that EP. And then after that, Paul just sent us some song ideas and we just kind of kept doing stuff because we, we really enjoyed working with each other. Yeah. We thought there was something there and we kept on with it, you know, Yeah. and then, uh, yeah.
0: Could he sing before or is that something that uh came out more through working with you?
1: Um I certainly wouldn't take any credit for saying that. Yeah, I, yeah. I I yeah. made him sing. Yeah, I think that um he's an immensely talented artist. So I think mm. that he uh probably could always sing, but he just wasn't in in that sort of world where that happened. You know, like he was a rapper and he was working at being a rapper. So when you put all that that effort into that sort of thing, you don't probably even really think about singing too much. But then when he started doing Daydream Fever stuff and he was uh, started to sing a little bit more, I think that was the space for him to explore that that side of his creativity. Yeah, you know, which is why it's important to never stifle those things.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've been listening to the in your songs the way that your voices fit together. It's it feels like they're like brother voices. Like they just fit so perfectly when the harmonies hit and you kind of can weave them in around each other. He can drop back to rapping, come back to harmonizing and it's just so smooth and it sounds so good together. Was there a moment that you realized that your voices just like harmonized and fit together so well?
1: Yeah. Well, there was for me. There might have been a different one for the other guys. Well, I remember we were doing... um, the second single that we released, which also was technically the first song that we ever made together, besides Minna, the first giant song that we made together, a song called Roses. All right. And um, in that song, there's like Coulter's verse in that song is amazing. Like, I, I, I love it. It's probably my favorite thing in a giant song so far. Yeah. And um, I remember trying to figure out what i could do in there that would support what he was doing but not take any of the light off of it because it was so powerful Mm. and i was just sort of at home messing around with ideas and i was just sort of singing some backing vocals and 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 doubling up some of his vocal lines and that was the first time that i heard the possibility of what our voices could do together and and i don't even think that what's in that song is is necessarily the best that we are together vocally i don't think that we've really figured that out yet like i know that it's there but i think that there's a lot of room for us to really explore that further on future tracks and mm. um like on the record he does a lot more singing uh and some of his melodies that he's written are like next level so i think that there's a lot of room for us to move and really do that a lot more but yeah that was probably the moment where i was like oh shit! like we don't we're not clashing here like it's easy to be supportive and vice versa as well mm. a lot of my main lines if he backs them up it works just as well so we're pretty lucky in that in mm. that respect definitely
0: Definitely. so so if we cast your mind all the way back like we were earlier to mm-hmm. early bands um and try to set up a timeline so sure at what age did day on fire or what year did day on fire begin and how old were you guys at that time <sighs>
1: I was worried that you were going to ask me for years because I'm really terrible at years. <laughs> so am I. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to. I'm yeah. trying to
0: piece together the Adelaide music scene. One yeah, band, memory. yeah. I at would a time. have been.
1: Well, I would have been about twenty. Yeah. So I reckon I was yeah twenty twenty one, maybe even twenty two. Around that early, let's say early twenties was when uh, I met Josh and we started writing Down Fire songs together. Yeah. Um, and then things happened pretty quickly. Because I uh, am annoyingly eager when it comes to music. So yeah. the minute we we filled out the band and, and I remember the, there was a rehearsal one night where the, the guys agreed like, yeah, we could play a show. Mm. The next day I booked us four shows. Nice. <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, got us a show, got us a show, got us a show. And we were playing like the Lizard Lounge and all of yeah. these like venues that weren't necessarily the best venues or the best shows or whatever. But, um, I just wanted to be in a band that played shows. Like I didn't care. I didn't care what the shows were. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to do that. So, so from there, like, we really inserted ourselves, uh, into the scene pretty quickly because, um, yeah, I just had that, that drive to do it. And, you know, we made friends with bands like the borderland and bands that were sort of just a level, a few levels up from us. That were nice enough to help us out and um yeah we had a pretty good pretty good run I we got actually- to play with capulet so oh yeah I nice stoked. i was stoked
0: i was thinking before uh speaking of the borderland was mm. it was it a borderland show at fowler's live that that was the first show that i came and you were playing
1: very possibly
0: I think yeah. it was. So I uh-huh. was working with Jason and yep. Brendan, the manager of Borderland at the time yes. in the electrical section of Parascarf. <laughs> ah. And okay. uh, I was, this is how fresh to the scene I was. So they'd given me their critical single. And at the time I yep. was a huge Linkin Park fan, loved like Butterfly Effect, <laughs> yeah. Sunk Lodo. So yeah. listening to that and being like, this is an Adelaide Linkin Park. Like uh,
1: and then they, It's so funny that you say that because yeah. I am still very good friends with Jason from Borderland. Yeah. And I give him shit about his love for Lincoln Park
0: constantly. Hey I like
1: Lincoln Park too. But yeah. I just like to give him shit about it. So
0: it's understandable. I, I yeah, cop a yeah. lot from friends too. Um Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I was so new to the scene that I remember that they gave me a flyer to an upcoming show, which I think okay. was this show at Fowlers Live. And it was my first show. And I thought the flyer was a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I thought they'd given me a ticket to the show. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Thank you so much. So, me and Tim Lorimer went. And that is when when we got there. So, there was a bit of confusion at the door. (laughs) No doubt. With me not understanding (laughs) what was going on. But we got in. Um... (laughs) got into the show and I think it's when we walked in, you guys were on stage.
1: Oh, wow. So, and I, so that was like
0: real fresh on the scene. First time at Fowlers, you know, the, the sound, the stage, you know, you guys up there just being rock gods as I walked (laughs) in. Um, Wow. So yeah, I'm, I'm so sure that it's, it's that show.
1: That, I mean, yeah, that's, that sounds feasible. How bummed were you to realize that currency had to be involved with it? You were like, oh, man.
0: Well, dude, it it was 10 bucks. which on one hand is like, oh, that's not that much. But at the time, I think it was like, oh, damn. Like, what am I going to (laughs) do?
1: Absolutely. Try and get people to pay $10 for a local show these days. It's just as hard as it was back then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Things don't change. But So how many releases did you guys do as Day on Fire?
1: So we had... um, two EPs and the, the album, the full length album, Apologies and Ghosts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I actually listened to the other day. I, 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 I listened to it every now and then just to sort yeah. of remind myself and I'm really proud of that record, man. It was, it was really great. Like we, um, made it with Carl Roberts, who was in uh soft white machine and coerce at the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just a good little body of work for where we were. Then, definitely, you know, like, it's vastly different to what I'm doing now, but um, there's still remnants of that. And what thing, year I was I that album? I mean, Got you on years? It was definitely in the in the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shit. What year was that album? I don't know. I, I don't remember. Damn it. I don't remember. It would have been like... God, that's so embarrassing, isn't it?
0: No, dude, I, I get it. Just, I was about to say, I at least remember the dates of releases and I was like, the EP was 2009 and that's the only one I remember. I don't remember right. any of our other releases, so I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah. Damn it. I'll I have to get back to you on the, the year of it. But yeah, it was a while ago now. <laughs> okay. And how... Yeah.
0: I always find it so interesting uh, with bands. How did the band end? How did that all come about
1: well funnily enough it never did end like, uh, we never we never had that conversation of like we're not a band anymore yeah um because i don't think any of us wanted to do you know what i mean like yeah. what a sad conversation to have like yeah i think maybe we all knew that we probably wouldn't do anything as day on fire again but why say it like yeah. why why close that door if you don't have to you know um yeah, it was, there was some pretty definite reasons why we weren't going to. Brody moved overseas. Yeah. Uh, Phil was playing in Grenadiers. I was doing solo stuff, you know, like. Um, so it was definitely sort of an unspoken end. But, yeah, it was never an official end. We never played a last show, which that, that part of it I am a little bit bummed about. Yeah. I would have liked to. But then again, that's ending it, isn't it? So, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. It's really tough. We actually we 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 released a song, a day on fire song, um, like a, I don't know, like maybe a year or two after we kind of stopped, um, and I think it's on SoundCloud still. And honestly, it's one of the best songs we ever wrote. We we were in the studio, we wrote two songs after the record that we were mm. going to do something with, and they were our two best songs. And was one, one of these trip probably...
0: was one of those trip.
1: No. No, no, no. That was just like messing around. Damn. Dude, like I love reading, that song. <laughs> in memory. Damn. No, that was, um, what was the song that we released? It's, it's on SoundCloud. It's yeah, definitely all right. on SoundCloud. Um, oh, de- it's called Departures. The song's called Departures. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes. And it's
1: one of my favorite Day on Fire songs and the other song that we never actually named that we were writing at the same time as it. Also one of my favorites and that'll probably never be heard, but yeah, the, we would have done some amazing stuff if we'd kept going which kind of bothers me a little bit but um, the best part is we didn't break up. So. Yeah,
0: it's, hey, you are still going, man. That's, that song... <laughs> That's right. Not only are you still going, you've got a song in the can ready.
1: Yeah, exactly. If anything, we're, we're in advance here on our next yeah, Day mate. on Fire release. <laughs> just
0: waiting for the next single. It's ready to yeah, go. Absolutely. absolutely. So, were you already doing... Solo work while Day on Fire was going strong, or did this happen as as a result?
1: No. Yeah, it didn't for me. Um, the solo stuff I'd always wanted to do it because, um, as as much as I loved being in Day on Fire, there were a- elements of it that frustrated me in that the pace that you need to move with four people, you know, yep. and that wasn't a Day on Fire issue. That's this is just a band issue. Yeah, the hardest part about being in a band. Is being in a band you know like getting four or five or however many people to be in the same place at the same time or have the same schedule and all like that's the hardest part so i really wanted to try solo stuff to just work at my own pace and um you know it it was a pretty fast pace like i uh you know i got to play some really great supports i toured in the states i toured in in the uk and um I re- so far, I've released two solo EPs um, and, a, and a single, double single thing. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll always do my solo stuff because, you know, it gives you... I think it's good to have that other outlet, you know? like I, I really love We Move Like Giants. Um, it's probably my favorite thing that I've ever, ever done. We Move Like yeah. Giants is easily the best music I've ever been a part of in my life. And I, and I love having it. But... I I also need to have that other outlet for the solo stuff because not everything is going to work in the band. And, um, I think the satisfaction that comes with your solo stuff, you know, it's scary as hell because it's all you and it's all on you and the, the shows are petrifying. Yeah. But, um, the reward from that is so gratifying because you've really got full control and, and, um, your, your wins are truly your
0: wins, you know? There was That's not sh- answering your question. <laughs> no, 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 but there was a, there was a uh, solo show that you did at the Rhino Room and it was the only show that I saw where you used loops at the time. Right. And yeah. the show was so tight and connected that like you were saying, having that outlet, having it all on you without anyone else's input gives you that time where it's like, it's exactly what you want it to be. And you could just tell that you've practiced this in a room A million times
1: yeah well that was the weird thing about it like i mentioned before like i was going through a breakup and i was using every night i was going into these headphones and working with this loop pedal truly and i know this sounds cliche but it was truly as a way to like heal and make myself feel better from you know this horrible thing that i was going through Mm. and um and it it got me through it you know and and I practiced too much. Like it was it was gross how how much I was just practicing. But the good part was like it made me much better at at doing that thing, you know. Dude, and,
0: that set um, was one continuous song. The way everything linked into each other, like you could tell yeah. that this was like what is it? Like 10,000 hours is that the mastery? Like all oh, right. You yeah. You could tell that yeah, you'd 10, put 000. in you'd put yeah. in that time to make this exactly what you wanted it to be and it was yeah just incredibly impressive to Thank see you,
1: man but it was also it's also probably like a a fear thing because getting up on stage as a solo artist especially when you've only ever been in bands yeah is it's, it's you it's a very surreal thing that first show and it's hard to comprehend how you're going to do it you mm. know like because it's everything's on you um and yeah, it's exciting, but my gosh, is it <laughs> terribly frightful?
0: Yeah, it's funny saying that. Uh, you know, you because it's scary getting on stage. You practiced a lot so that it would be good when you got up there. My strategy was, in case I was going to make mistakes, I went insane on stage and went all out nuts. And you, you the mistakes are going to come. Like, no one's going to go sure. that nuts and not make mistakes. So, yep. that was kind of my strategy. I remember, I think, the first show we played, we got put on a tight ass Tuesday. Um, yes. And it was a big lineup, a much bigger lineup than we deserved for our first show. And I think it was 300 people at the Gov. And um, nice. there was a song where I switched to guitar. And in practice, yeah. I used like a tiny little practice amp that I had. But for the show, my mate had brought his big amp for me to use that I had never seen or touched, and I'd never used a guitar amp. And it had all the effects like built in to the mm. to the head and everything. And yeah, we got yeah, up there, yeah. we started the song, and I was supposed to be have like full distorted, like can barely hear it, and it was clean. Oh so, no. And I couldn't figure out how to fix it, and the guys were just playing. So, I just started rocking out to cover it up and no one noticed, no one said anything to me after and then that became my strategy. It was like, I'm going to go nuts every show and because it was a lot of fun. I like feeling the music. Did you ever feel restricted being like a singer guitarist that you you were kind of locked in place a fair bit because the
1: the mic stand? A a little bit. Well, a little bit, but I also when you when you learn when you sort of learn to be on a stage with that thing there, mm. you almost feel a bit naked without it, you yeah, know? and it's been i'll I'll tell you what's weirder when I started doing stuff with giants, not having a guitar, yeah, it is so much weirder. like the all I can do is um play with the um the microphone, yeah, lead, yep, you know what I mean, which is so. Uh, it's a bit lame, but like I, I've got what, what I don't even. What else have you got? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, so that was even that's that's far weirder than than being a guitarist without a mic stand, being mm. a singer without a guitarist for me, anyway. But yeah. yeah, that's just what I'm used to, you know. So,
0: do you have now that I've bared my embarrassing stage story? Do you have definitely. a uh, on-stage story from a time where it didn't quite go according to plan, or there was a big stuff-up? Or, uh, Absolutely, I got. Yep. I have the
1: worst one oh, of all times. I'm ready. Well, well, this was this is to date one of the worst <laughs> nights of my life. Okay. Okay. Yep. And I still think about it and cringe. Yeah. And in in sight sphere on me every time I play a solo show. <laughs> okay. This was my my first solo EP, an EP called Islands. I had booked a launch for it, and it was a. Uh, a dual release launch with a friend of mine named joe now joe coincidentally uh was the singer in the band lowrider yeah who paul and john from we move like giants were also from Uh, so the way that i met the way that i met all of those guys was because of lowrider was this show in adelaide or melbourne the show was in uh well well i met the guys in we played we played in both adelaide and melbourne okay this particular show that this worst night of my life was in Adelaide. Yeah. So low rider had broken up. Joe was doing solo stuff. Joe had sung on my, uh, solo EP He'd done a guest verse and he and I were releasing our EPs around the same time. So we said, Hey, let's do a joint release night. Sweet. Right. So it was at, um, I forget the name of the venue. It's on Peary street. It might not even be a venue anymore, but it used to go downstairs. Uh, it changed its name 50 million times. Yeah. But also, I don't care to remember it because fuck that place. they screwed me over. <laughs> so, All right, yeah, yeah. So, so it was. Um, we get to the venue for sound check, and the the venue the sound guy had double booked himself, and that night he was doing sound for Bad Dreams at Fowler's. Dude. So yeah. So we were call- we're calling them and we're like, hey man, we're here for sound check. Where are you? And he's like. Oh shit, I've double booked myself. I can't do it. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. Oh right? God. Yeah. And yeah. Like, and the, to top it off, like I know a million dudes who can do sound, right? Yeah. So you would think, no problems, call a guy in and then he can do sound. The desk that this venue had was like fully electronic and pre programmed. Oh. So it wasn't a desk where you could just go on there and like adjust. You know, yeah. Adjust and, and do the sound. So no sound check. I get on stage. The the sound guy was literally like some dude's friend of a friend who wasn't even really a sound guy. Yeah. He couldn't do anything with this desk. And I start playing, and the song's feeding back. And because it's loops, the feedback got in a loop and it was mm. just a loop oh, of feedback. Oh my God. And like all of my friends and family were there. It was my EP launch. I had people in this shirt and family members who would- was the first show that they came to
0: oh my god
1: so yeah look everyone was there um i got halfway through the first song and i just had to say to everyone this isn't gonna work sorry and i had to like just stop the set and uh it was the most mortifying moment of my life i actually i went straight backstage didn't come back out for the rest of the night was literally sitting there going i think i'm going to quit music i was that like just crushed yeah it was real it was a real bad moment real bad moment yeah. So, but you know, like, um, I redid the launch. Like, I booked another launch, and um, that was a great night. So, a, what do you do? shattering. You know, absolutely shattering. Shattering. Yeah, shattering. But you know, like, um, I think, I think it's inevitable to have nights like that. Yeah. And if I think about how many times I've played a show, for that to be sort of the only main one that pops up. I'm sure there was other really, like embarrassing things that happened, but yeah. none that I can really remember is standing out. So I think I've had a pretty good run so far. Let's knock on wood and hope yeah, that, yeah. I, you know, Very something good. really bad.
0: All right. Well, we, yeah. we've gone way over, but I just, uh, I wanted to, to get all the stories and everything. Uh, I'd love to have you back yeah. on when the, was it a new EP or a new album the Giants are writing? New album, yeah.
1: So we just, uh, I was in Adelaide at the start of the year. We, we put, Pretty much the finishing touches on what will be the first full-length Giants record, and it's like I, I know I'm in the band, but it's really, really good. All right, so very we'll, good. Looking, so we'll, we'll, we'll chat. We'll chat about that. We'll do the. We'll do the second half of it all.
0: Hell we'll yeah! Hell yes. yeah! So let me know uh, when it's about to come out, and I'll. Hundred percent. I'll get you one, and hopefully by then the podcast has just taken off.
1: Dude, I think you. I, I listened to a few of the ones that you sent me, and they were really cool. I think you're onto a good thing. I mean, you're already famous, right?
0: Oh, dude, massive. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you're like you're like a huge YouTube star. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, no, I'm a not even joking. Big. T- not even joking. You're you're massive.
0: I'm I'm going about it in. A while. I'm trying to be as genuine as possible with it. Um,
1: you definitely are. I can you. tell that comes through. But it's because you're a genuine guy. Like, I'm not even trying to, like, come back at you with compliments. Nah, need, so yeah, funny. he's being nice. No, no, no. You're a genuine guy. And I think that comes through in what you're doing. And, and what I love about watching your reaction videos, thank you for the Giants one that you did, by the way. Oh, yeah. And I also listening to your podcast. You're, you're definitely clearly a fan of, of, this, of just music and creativity and the way that you talk about it from that angle is just so enjoyable to hear so well done man i'm really proud of you
0: Ah, thanks so much man it means a lot um dude of course and i I really want to piece together because the time that you're in a band is a whirlwind right like it is like we we, we can't remember the dates of anything because at that time (laughs) you're young you're crazy you're trying to make it happen there's so much going on so now i'm like i'm going back and i'm trying to piece together the scene Right <laughs> of what right. happened and when and how it all came together at the time.
1: You're so well positioned to like do a documentary or or a YouTube like doco or something about it all back then. You know what I mean? Because you're talking to all these people. I am, You're you're, you're I, doing this detective work. You should yeah. do something with that. I, I am recording yeah.
0: video for all of it, but then I'm only releasing well, the audio. Well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh well, I mean, look, there's you're you're primed to be Adelaide's the Adelaide music scene historian.
0: I love it. <laughs> right. well, I'm going to have to put something like that together. Um, I'll say bye now, uh, do a little wrap up, but stay on. So,
1: I will, um, I will. Yeah, thank thank you, you so much, man.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome to catch up. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. Catch We Move Like Giants on...
1: Do Spotify, Instagram, whatever. It's, it's we're everywhere.
0: Fantastic. And come and find me, uh, Rogan Josh, on YouTube doing reaction videos three times a week and Alt Music Podcast weekly so far. But yeah, Luke, can't wait to have you back on. And uh, yeah, thanks guys for listening.
1: Thank you, man.